Dear GTM strategist, welcome back to the show. Guillaume Auberge is the founder and CEO of Lempire, a company that turns ambitious businesses into big names. His most famous product is Lemlis that he co-founded in 2018 with only $1,000 and the company literally revolutionized email prospecting. Lempire went from zero to 150 million valuation in only three and a half years, completely bootstrapped. It's currently at 23 million ARR and has already helped 100,000 people from all over the world to build and grow profitable businesses. In 2022, Guillaume published a best-selling book, The 150 Million Secret, where he shared his entrepreneurial journey and the secrets behind his business strategy. Today, we will talk about how to build a bootstrapped empire, how to create 150 million. $50 million business from Europe and how to kick ass in sales as a founder. Are you ready? Let's go. Hey Guillaume, I'm so happy to have you on my podcast. Finally, what was your career all about? Like, did you wake up one day as a child and say, I want to build an empire? How that happened? <laughs> No, that, that didn't start it like this. Uh, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Uh, it was, uh, it was cool to exchange uh, on LinkedIn. I know you, you've met some of my uh, former teammates, uh, Vukashin. So it's uh, always a pleasure to, to share the story. Yeah, definitely. So how did it happen? I mean, your entrepreneurial journey, what was the initial inception on it? What got you passionate about this journey? It's a, it's a good question. I think like, um, so, so my parents, uh, didn't go to university. Like they are not entrepreneurs. They don't come from money. My grandparents are farmers. So for me, it was like, uh, you know, like I think when I was a kid, I discovered quickly that, uh, I really enjoyed money. <laughs> no one, no one liked to say that, but for me, it was like, uh, it was something I enjoyed. Like, uh, I remember, um, when my grandfather retired, uh, to basically like still make a bit more money because he didn't have like enough pension. He started like, uh, building houses and eventually like during the, the holiday, I would go on the construction workplaces and I would basically like, uh, take the bricks from, uh, the car to like, uh, the house so he can start building and doing like all the shitty tasks. And eventually I got paid for it and I was maybe like eight or nine. Uh, I was definitely underpaid. It was definitely child labor, but uh, at least at that time, I realized that with hard work, you know, like uh, you could make money and uh, with money, you can, you could buy candy. So I, I used to love candies. So for me, it was, um, it was really like uh, the, the best way to, to keep motivated. And eventually I started like uh, learning the value of things. And I realized that, uh, you know, like for some people, a few objects were actually like a lot more valuable. So I would start, for example, like uh, trading Pokemon cards at school. And eventually, like uh, from one Pokemon card, I would end up getting like uh, a Game Boy Color, which was the Holy Grail at the time. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the trade. I really enjoyed business. But for my parents, business was not a job. Uh, so they wanted me basically to, uh, to study science, become an engineer. Uh, so I got like my master in chemical engineering. Uh, and during that time, I basically like had uh, a project that was an entrepreneurship like a uh, project. Um, and it was really cool. It was for school, obviously, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And eventually I felt like, you know what? I want to do my own stuff. 
Uh, I don't want to have people like uh, to tell me what to do. I'm not like uh, I was good in science, but I was not like, uh, you know, like I, I didn't want it to be my life. So I just thought, okay, like uh, I'm going to study again. So I went to do like a master in marketing. And while that doing that master, I basically like launched uh, the first company with my dad. So my dad uh, prints on fabric. Uh, and I thought, yeah, let's, let's become a, uh, Let's become millionaires with t-shirts. Uh, but that was my dream. It didn't work out as planned. <laughs> so um, uh, we, we launched the project and it was like a, a massive failure. Uh, I think we sold like uh, anywhere from five to seven t-shirts. Uh, and I thought we were going to make, uh, I said, like hundreds and hundreds of t-shirts. So it was quite like uh, tough, to be honest. Uh, but at that time, I, I just like starting to think, okay, what, what went wrong? Um, I was putting, you know, myself under a lot of pressure and thought like, okay, it's because I don't have money. I can't spend money on ads and I can't acquire customer, et cetera, et cetera. But actually in the end, like, uh, I realized that it's not the money that I was lacking, but it's the skills to acquire customers. And that's when I started focusing on customer acquisition and more importantly, like lead generation. Uh, so I started like helping companies um, to find like new customers, which is quite funny because for my own company initially I couldn't, but I just felt like uh, you can always sell service and then you get paid to learn what to do. <laughs> so, so that's what I did, uh, launch an agency and eventually I become like uh, really good at sales prospecting. So I would do like um, sales prospecting campaigns for company around the world uh, and booking meetings with their ID customers. And eventually after using like all the software out there on the market, I think my engineer background came back a bit and I was like, yeah, like SaaS software as a service. This is like a, a beautiful business model. There are like lots of things to do. It's an open market and it's global, which uh, I really enjoyed. So I was like, okay, like let's do this. And uh, this is how I launched Lemlist in uh, 2018 with uh, $1,000. <laughs> what a story. And I love how you explained it in terms that first you did like services. So we were almost paid to learn what you know now. Uh, but also like just like this service thingy and co-creation with a client can get like a little bit tricky, right? So when you have a little bit of money and then they required more of your resources and it's easy money in comparison with building your product and see nothing going <laughs> on for months. So were you ever like tempted to go back or were you like always committed like software, this is it, I'm building my empire here, no more services? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough because like at the time, essentially, like, um, I had like between the, the, the agency and, the and Lemlist, I actually failed like a, a software company where I essentially went to Russia to work with some freelancer and it didn't oh, work out. Yeah, I lost my money there and, uh, and I was like, fuck it. Like, I really have to make this work. And eventually like, uh. I don't know, like I felt with software, I just felt that creating something that can stay and evolve over time felt like really, really nice. And I really enjoyed product. I always love product. So for me, I was like, yeah, it's, um, I want to create like an impact. I want a tool that people can use without having me in between and that can impact their business positively. And very quickly, you know, like, um, we launched on Product Hunt after like uh, three weeks of coding oh, wow. the product. 
So the product was like shit, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't want to launch, but I was like, you know what? Let's do this and let's see. And I think this is where I realized the, the beauty of like uh, SaaS because we started having customers from all around the globe and people that I had never met before were actually using my products. And when I was looking at the map with the IP address, you can know like the location more or less of people. I was like, this is insane. Like uh, it felt, it, I don't know, like that feeling, you know, like uh, from that moment on, it was not about like uh, the money. It was not about, you know, like uh, whether or not the company is going to be successful. It was really about all the connection that we created with just like one product coded, you know, like uh, <laughs> in a living room and, uh, and just uh, seeing all the people around the globe use it and from that moment on, I just got like really passionate about trying to make it work. And what's really funny is uh, when you look at how much money we did the first month, you know, it was like uh, $500 in MRR. Then, you know, yeah, you move to like uh, maybe 700. So you're like at month two, you're like making 700 bucks. That's, that's really shit. You know, when you come from the agency world where you can just like close, uh, I don't know, like 3k deals not easily but still like you can do multiple 3k deals in a month and get like to a to a yeah, point if so i need uh, it three salaries i will sell more <laughs> that's it right no it's really yeah. important because <laughs> it's like when you are driven when you're having like this money and i just know the pain point like it's so easy to sell a service but when it comes to software especially like with onboarding that's a different animal sorry for interrupting you but like something in no no shop. no i i 100 100%, <laughs> 100%, 100% agree and and for me it was the you know like eventually what what i think was helpful is uh I knew the industry really well. I knew what people were struggling with. So the new user, I would onboard them also like manually and try to help them like be as successful as possible. Everyone believe like uh, to scale, you only need to focus on new users. I think this is like uh, the biggest misconception in software. Actually, what you need is, uh, you know, like to have maybe 10, 15, 20 super fans. And if they're not super fans, like it's, it's pretty useless to go and... Uh, and, and try to, to do sales prospecting. So for me, really, it was, uh, it was all about like delighting the customer. I spent, uh, the first 18 months being the only one doing product marketing, um, product marketing sales and customer support. So customer support was a big chunk of my day at the end of the 18 months. And that's when we hired, uh, Ena, who's now like the, the head of customer support. But it was uh, it was really really intense. But I believe that when you're a founder and you're just getting started, talking to customers is the number one most important thing. And when your company scale, like right now, we're at more than uh, 23 million dollar in annual recurring revenue, and talking to, to customers is still something I do weekly. So there is no excuse not to do it. And I think like uh, we see too many founders who stop doing this because they believe that they know better. Uh, in the end, you never know better. Like you, you always get, uh, you know, like a key haha moment when you talk to customers, and that's, uh, in my opinion, essential. Cool. Let's build upon this thought that you just have about importance of talking to customers because there are some founders who never do it in the first place. They are just like outsourcing customer discovery. You no, know, seriously, seriously, like they are so reluctant to have this human touch and human experience so i don't know like with your you had two technical co-founders 
were they doing yeah. customer discovery and uh, customer research as well, or were you their anchor to this intelligence? Yeah, the, it's it's a bit complex. Like they they didn't really like people that much, so uh, they got like they were getting really frustrated, you know, like uh, during like customer calls. And I don't think they were like uh, when you're an engineer and uh, and you like building stuff. When people don't use it the way you want, you are gonna <laughs> say like that people are stupid, which I think is like uh, the the worst behavior ever. So of course, like sometimes you know like. Uh, you, people need a bit of time to get used to products, etc. But I think most often engineers love to talk about the solution while discovery is all about talking about the problem, like uh, asking open-ended question, uh, not talking about your solution, not talking about your product, and then building like a, a solution based on the product. It requires like, a, I think, a bit of skills. Um, it's I think it's product discovery and sales, in my opinion, are two things that should be uh, done in more or less the exact same way because both the product person and the salesperson, if they are good, their only focus should be to understand how they can help to the best way possible the customer solving their problems. And, you know, like uh, we all have like this vision of um, the sales that is like a shark that is uh, very like outgoing can talk to anyone that's like extremely pushy and a closer. In real life, that doesn't work like this. Like the best sales rep are usually like uh, pretty introverted. They talk way less than the person like that they are like having a discussion or a sales call with. Um, they understand the problem deeply. They know when to say that it's not a good fit. And the product managers will also be able to uh, to do that. So all that role was uh, was me doing it. And, uh, and from all my learnings, then afterwards, you know, I would like... Uh, try to discuss it in more detail so we can shape and build uh, the product together. Cool. I really like that. And thank you for being honest here because sometimes, you know, I had this interest as well in my, so my developers said <laughs> that they can speak to people as long as they are other developers, at least meet. So <laughs> it was impossible to get them like on other calls. Uh, and we like recorded usability mm. tests for them, just like deriving, yeah. but you saw their reaction. Mm. They were like genuinely upset and they became defensive. No, click there. That's going on. Um, so yeah, it's maybe <laughs> not the best for customer relationship as well once you're having these uh, things. But what you said, just like in terms of um, how you divided the roles is also very interesting in perspective of like having a product vision and being customer focused, because there is like this trap that you are just like absorbing all the insights from the market that you can be too customer centric and forgetting about the big future, the big vision here that you are becoming creative so that's maybe a good, a good contrabalance yeah definitely and i think something that's really important to always like so there, there are a few things when you get started as a founder you're the only one to believe about what you're going to do and honestly like uh, it's really hard to take a software from zero to having like paid customers and traction it's all about like uh, sheer determination. It's all about like pure will. And you have an idea in your mind and you want it to transform the world, but to bend the world to your own reality, it requires like a lot of like determination and, and you have to go for it. So when you start having like customers, something I often see in founders is that they really want to please their customers, but they do it like uh, without really 
understanding what was their initial vision and where they wanted to go. And the issue with existing customers is that people, by definition, they will always compare what you are doing or your software to something they already know. And that's also why, you know, when, uh, for example, the um, William Sonoma, like when they, they launched like their first toaster, um, no one wanted to buy it. Yet, you know, like toasting bread, I mean, especially like uh, in France or whatever, France, yeah. it's something that ev ev everyone does. <laughs> uh, so it's something like really useful. Everyone has a toaster like today in nowadays, but back in the days, you know, like uh, it wouldn't sell. So what happened is they added like a deluxe version that was 50 bucks more expensive. And once they added the deluxe version, everyone started to buy like the normal version just because people could compare it to something else. And I think with software, it's more or less the same. Like when we buy something, we always wondering like, oh, what is the equivalent of it? Or what is the competitor? Or what does that do exactly? Like we want to compare it. And the issue when you talk to customers who want to compare you to others is eventually they want to get either something similar or something that's really like close to that. And they're, they are going to basically help you build what I call like Frankenstein product, which is just like add-on of tons of different products without having in mind your clear vision, what's your go-to market, who do you serve, for what purpose. And, uh, and, and that's like really important for founders to remember that your vision is more important than customer feedback. Customer feedback is obviously important, but the customer you are serving now are not always the customers that you will serve in six months or 12 months. And they're not always the best customers to give you like very like a uh, very specific example. When, uh, when I launched Lemlist, I had a lot of people like uh, commenting on the interface, et cetera. And, and I saw that the lots of people like were really loving it and they wanted us to add, add, add more features, more features, but the conversion rate was actually not super good. So from sign up to activated, activated for us is uh, someone who basically launched a sales prospecting campaign. The conversion was not that great. And when I was looking at the flow, I felt like we could really rebuild entirely everything to make it a lot smoother. So we rebuilt entirely the flow and the people who really loved our product, they started to really like shit on it. Like they were like, no, like, why did you change this? It doesn't make any sense. It's so fucking stupid. Like, and we had a, a Facebook community. So all the messages were actually public. I had like screenshot of messages of people like insulting me in public, etc. But I was convinced that, you know, like this, uh, this new uh, feature, obviously, and this new framework and UX was actually much better for the use case that we wanted our users like to, to go through. And a lot of this super fan actually like churned, which was really hard for us. But when I was looking at the conversion rate, it increased by 2x, which is huge. And eventually, like we had one month where the churn customers uh, were basically like super high because they didn't like the product anymore. But the months after that, we made like three times the amount of money that we actually made before. So sometimes, you know, like it's important to believe in yourself. Uh, you can always roll back if you see that something is, uh, is not right. Like you can always go back. Like that's for me, that's like the, the biggest learning. And, and it's fine like to, to implement and test new things, but never lose sight of your vision and where you want to go. Gosh, such a powerful story. Do you remember back in days when we had like these Facebook groups, we want old Facebook back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, yeah, yeah, you yeah, can always yeah. say to them that you are sorry <laughs> and reverse your decisions. It's something is catastrophic, but when mm. you know, you know. Thank you so much for sharing this story. There is like another anchor that I would love to dwell into. You said that getting first customers is tough. And sometimes like people feel that on the other end and they are getting like even tougher. So yes, I would buy if you add also this meta integration into this. I really did this. <laughs> and after you do this, then I will really buy. Uh, how did you tackle just like the problem of getting first customers post product hunt that you already mentioned? Yeah, it's um, so from a very tactical way, uh, we didn't have any money. So for me, and I knew that I knew how to do outbound. So I was only doing outbound sales. And I would say like in our case, it was uh, for Lemlist at least because right now, essentially like Lempire is around like five different products. Um, they are all doing like uh, millions in dollars of revenue. So everyone, every product has like a different story. But for Lemlist, it was uh, eating our own dog food, leveraging our product to reach out like to people. And I would reach out to like um, a niche that is not super addressed by other competitors. So that was like a new sales rep or founders who just got like started and want to acquire customers. And once I booked meetings, they would tell me like, hey, like I'm not sure if cold outreach work, et cetera, et cetera. So then I would say, do you know how to close a deal? And they were like, yeah, of course, I'm a really good closer. I'm a founder. Nah, 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 nah. So I'm like, that's good. So what you're missing is like what booking meetings. And they were like, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, how did we get that meeting? And then they would realize that it was from a cold email I had sent. And then they were like, okay, like, let me give it a try. And so it was, it was like a good way, like to sell it. But for other products, the way, um, for example, like if we take uh, another product that we launched and that we sold later, the way I did it is, uh, as a founder, you actually have a superpower because your job title is founder. So. First, a lot of people are willing to help because generally like entrepreneurs are people who are trying to solve specific problem. People know it and people love to understand like their story, etc. Like it's not every day that you receive an email from another founder. So the way I would do it is reach out to people uh, who I know I can help. And instead of trying to sell, I would just focus on building relationship to talk about a specific problem. So for example, um, Lemcal, uh, that is like a, a product that we launched that essentially like uh, reduces no-show rates. It's a competitor to Calendly. Uh, I reached out to like Calendly users and I was like, hey, um, I've seen that you work like uh, in sales or as a founder and that you're actually using Calendly. I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, like no-show rate is something that's painful for you. And if yes, I'd love to chat with you about something that we're working on. I'm not trying to sell anything, just trying to understand like the problem before I start building something. And it's just going to take you 15 minutes. And then in your email, if you want to put something also like, by the way, I know your time is valuable, happy to pay for either 15 minutes or 30 minutes, like give me your price and uh, happy to pay for a consulting call. That way, you know, like, many you show that you actually... This author? This is really fascinating because no I have different flow. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no one, no one will ever like, uh, no one. I mean, and, and again, there's always a way out. Like if someone had told me, okay, like it's 500 bucks for like uh, half an hour, I would have say, Hey, sorry, didn't see your reply. Uh, uh, fine. We already had like uh, tons of interviews. Like I'm going to like 
come back to you soon, etc. Like you can, there is always a way out. Someone wants to to give you like an excessive number or whatever. Like it's fine. Like there's no stress to have. But by just putting that message, it also shows that you value people's time. And people usually appreciate it because it comes from a place of like, okay, I'm honest. And if someone had told me like, I don't know, like for Lemcal, since now we have like more uh, revenue and resources and they tell me like, I don't know, like 100 bucks for 15 minutes. Yeah, I think like uh, if, if the person is in the target and you really want them as customers, you just pay it and you see, you know. Um, so, so then, you know, like you do your customer interviews, you really only talk about the problem itself and you're like, okay, like how many meetings do you book uh, every single month? Hey, like we have around like 40 meetings that are booked. Okay. So how many like uh, actually come up and, and show? Well, it's like sales meetings. So in reality, we only have like 15. Oh, okay. So essentially like it means that you're losing maybe like 60 or 70% of the people booking meetings. Yeah. It's like annoying. And it's like, okay, like what have you tried so far? Um, well, like we try to call them. We try to get their phone number, but they don't reply. Okay. Um, we try like to email them many times. Da, 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 da. Okay. Um, and do you, how many people do you actually get back from, uh, from these meetings when they don't show up? Well, uh, if we really follow up hard, like we usually get, uh, maybe like 50% of the 60% that didn't show up. Okay. So it means in total, you actually like lose really like 40% of potential revenue. And why do you think like that is? And then you try to understand really the pain, the problem, et cetera. And eventually, you know, like uh, when you went through everything and you understand how much money they are losing or how much time they are losing, because if you are in B2B, you either help people save time or you help people make more money with your product. So once you understand one of these two characteristics, this is when you can go back to them and say, hey, thanks again for your time. Here's exactly what I got from our meeting. Every single month, uh, there is about like 30 people uh, or 40 people that could attend more meetings per sales rep. You told me that your sales rep are a team of, let's say, like 10 people. So that's like 400 meetings per month that could be done and that are not like uh, actually done. Um, we are like building currently like a solution for that. Here's why. Uh, here are the results that we're having so far. Would you be up for testing it? And then the people like uh, usually like they say yes. And interviewing user and talking to your market is something that you must do. So converting the people you talk to to customers is usually extremely easy. And when someone, because to go to build up on your point, is telling you, yeah, like I'm happy to pay, like when you do X, Y, Z, you're like, okay, thanks a lot for your feedback. The product is uh, is paid as of tomorrow. Uh, it's not maybe on the roadmap right now, but we'll keep looking into it. Sorry if it's not a fit, uh, but in any case, man, thanks a lot for the insight, etc. And then you will see that some of that group will actually pay. And the one that don't pay, it's simply that they are not the right fit for the product and it's fine. Like you, you got to move on because the reality is like in this um, early adopters, what you will see is most often the early adopters are not your final customers because they are people who are always happy to test new things. But they are just like, uh, usually they're just like people who test new things and they love testing new things and they love product. And that's why, you know, like they're always like thinking about way to like make product works. They have like kind of like an engineer mindset, which is, which is cool from time to time, but it's not the people you want to build product with because they will never be like, uh, 
they will never be happy. There's always going to be a new shiny object and they will always want you to add all these features. So essentially they're a pain in the ass if we have to say it like the, <laughs> but eventually like they're, yeah, it's just how you build like from early adopters to a, a much larger market. Cool. I think in addition to what you said, which was, thank you so much for the interview script. I'm posting it to my like cohort that I'm teaching right now, because just <laughs> yesterday we had like the interview questions, mom tests, but as you run through it, it sounded so naturally. And I think it will be great for our product managers and engineers because it was just a beautiful flow. It was not cringe. It was contextual and like... <laughs> Probably people wish that they could sound like you when we are doing these um, interviews. But <laughs> nevertheless, many of us don't. So things get, you know, a little bit too scripted. So I'm there like reading these questions. I have problem following up because then I forgot things and I don't really like emails. <laughs> uh, how to, like, what's your advice? What advice do you give to other founders, to your mentees, to people that you are teaching how to get better at this man? I think there is no shortcut. Like, uh, I used to suck. Like, I suck at cold emails. I suck at sales. Like, I hated reaching out to people like that didn't know me. I hated the rejection. Um, I'm actually like, uh, initially, like, I'm, I'm more of an introvert. So, like, talking to people, et cetera, for me, it's like, uh, it takes a lot of energy. But eventually, like, uh, the more you do it, the more like, uh, you, you get better at it. And I think like something that really worked well for me is uh, switching my mindset from I'm trying to sell something to people from I'm trying to see if I can help them. And if you really believe in your product or service, and if you really believe that you are helping someone out, then not reaching out or not having this conversation means that you are the kind of person who doesn't want to help people. And this is not something that uh, I aspire to. Like, uh, I want to help people. I want to, like, uh, be of service. I want to do good. And so for me, it's, it's just like a, a no-brainer. And, uh, and the more you do it, and the more you are, like, uh, you have this passion about the problem that you are solving, I think the easier it gets for you because then it's, uh, it's not about, like, finishing people's sentence. It's about, like, just being a good listener, understanding what they're going through, being empathetic. And eventually, like, uh, build a strong relationship so people will down the line. You know, it's like, I think business karma is real. If you help a lot of people, eventually, like, good come to you. Like, I've helped, like, to be honest, like, tens of thousands of people. Uh, I reply to all my emails, all my messages, etc. Like, when people share specific problems they're facing, etc. Most of them, like... Uh, I've never heard of them after, after helping them, you know, like, or they've never helped me in any way, but down the line, you know, like I just believe in doing good and, you know, like helping people. And if on their end, just because I've helped them, eventually they help like a, a founder that's getting started or something, then, you know, like it's just a, a ripple effect and it's a chain. it just creates a better word. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. And we can even capture this in metrics. Maybe you will like this example. So last year I launched a freelancing course here in Slovenia, in my local country, and we got 200 people to attend a freelancing course, which was super cool. But, you know, sales for us, this is a part-time project that I do just like in order to help the community a little bit. Our North Star metric was literally to change 100 lives. 
And whenever we were nice. not promoting the product, we were damaging <laughs> people and making them suffer in their jobs instead <laughs> of going to freelance. And mm. I just love, I love this it. shift in mind when you are starting to think about this. Of course, product has to be good. You have to deliver. You have to like really have evidence in order to be this level of passionate about this. But yeah, it's a very good framing and it's... It's easier like also to self-motivate, right? To help people instead of go and like try to sell this to 20 more innocent people. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. 100%. Perfect. Okay. Then I have like another interesting question. Of course, like we are building this conversation on a go, a get go because it's so, so, so fascinating to just like evolve it organically. Um, when it comes to just like sales script, and like what should I write and how to get better at this there are a lot of advice out there for example just like retype whatever somebody else was doing then maybe ask chat GPT use I assisted tools to get like a perfect <laughs> email like Lemlist mm. has a bunch of templates that community also participated with but what would you say like how to get better at just like messaging and getting your offer across yeah, I, I think there are like uh, a few actionable tips I could give is the first thing is like write your emails directly on your phone uh, or at least the templates and send it like uh, to a friend on WhatsApp. That way you, you just look at how it looks like on the screen. Would that be something that uh, you would read or not? Why? Why not? And then the goal is to answer like uh, just like a few questions in your email. First question is uh, what's in it for them? Like, is it clear? what they are like uh, getting out of whatever you're asking. Then it's like uh, answering the question, why you? Like uh, if you talk about a problem, maybe I have this problem, which is okay, but why should I trust you? Uh, and and this, this should like really be something important to answer. And the, 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 last, per, the last question is like, why now? Uh, again, you know, like everyone has like a lot of time uh, not a lot of time, sorry. Everyone's busy. Everyone's doing their own stuff. So why now? Why is it like uh, urgent? So I think like whenever you write your cold email, if you can be very clear about like, hey, first name, I was having a chat or like having an intent is extremely important. So if you reach out to someone who doesn't know you and you have like no idea who they are, et cetera, et cetera, the chances are for the conversion are extremely low. So intent can be a lot of different things. You can see people commenting on posts on LinkedIn. You can see people attending specific events. So LinkedIn has thousands, if not millions of events. You can always look at the list of attendees. If you see someone, for example, like going to an event that's called like, a, I don't know, go-to-market strategy for product leaders, and you see that the attendees are just like product leaders struggling with go-to-market, you can just say like, as a subject line, you would put the name of the event and then you can put the first name of the person in there. And then the, the first message is like, hey, so that you wanted to attend or you're attending like a event name. Uh, I found that, you know, like defining go to market when you do it for your own is always like uh, really painful because uh, you forget like uh, X, Y, and Z. Uh, last time I had a chat with product leader name that is well-known or one of your customers, it was funny because we realized that there and then you share the results. So for example, that by focusing on 
their top segments, they managed to increase their conversion rate uh, by three and reduce the churn rate by X percent. Um, I'm always trying to connect and exchange with other product leaders. Uh, I saw that your company is doing blah, 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 blah. Then uh, that you might be targeting that segment and that segment and that segment. Would love to brainstorm like for five or 10 minutes if you feel like it to see whether or not, you know, like a changing go-to market uh, would be beneficial. Uh, if you're too busy, it's fine and have an awesome day. I hope you enjoyed the event. Cheers and your name. So that's the, the end things is basically the push-pull method. Push-pull method is uh, you push is a CTA. So you ask for something and the pull is uh, you're not too pushy. So it's like, uh, for example, I would say, hey, Maja, like uh, I'm, uh, I'd love for us to meet and exchange for like 20 minutes. But again, I know you're like a busy woman. So if you don't have time, it's fine. Keep rocking, love your podcast and, and then put like a, a personalized sentence. Because when you do that, you're not like super pushy. Then you can follow up if you don't get answers and that's fine. But this email and the vibe you have in it is like a lot more specific and uh, a lot more on point. Guillaume, I'm so sorry right now because if you wouldn't be a millionaire already, we could do some great <laughs> business development together. It's like really... <laughs> Wow. And it sounds so organic. It sounds so natural. There is no cringeness to it, right? So I don't feel that I'm like bothering other people or just like being too annoying for them. This is genius. Um, very, very, very much appreciate these lessons. The In the last section, I would just love to dive into your building in public strategy because like you come from engineering backgrounds, welcome to the dark side of marketing and sales for a couple of decades now. But you probably understand like how people feel when they have to talk about themselves in private, um, in public. And especially if you are a more private person or having like a little bit of higher IQ that not every coffee machine picture is newsworthy <laughs> to you. Um, how to just like start, how to get on a good side with building in public? Okay, so I think the there are two things that uh, that I want to chat about. The, the first thing is, uh, I love this story. It's called like the Marco Polo story. So Marco Polo is extremely like well-known and you've read my book, so you know like uh, about it. But it's like, it's extremely well-known for discovering like uh, the Silk Road. Uh, so everyone knows him for his like fantastic stories and adventures, etc. And it's been already like thousands of years. But if you actually look at who Marco Polo was, you realize that he's just a Venetian merchant and that he wasn't the first to discover the Silk Road. He wasn't the first one. Thousands of people had done it before him, but he was the first one to document it. And I think whenever you're like, building your company, you can also be known for being the one to document about this journey because your company is unique. The road that you're going to go through is a new Silk Road. It's a new like adventure and everyone loves adventure. Everyone loves ups and downs. Every lo everyone loves this. And the second aspect that's like really important is to understand the essence of any B2B business. As I mentioned earlier, B2B is about helping people save time or make more money. But how exactly do people decide whether or not they want to work with you? It always comes down 
to one thing, which is trust. For example, you work in a go-to-market strategy. If I want to work with you, you're like, yeah, I mean, go-to-market, a good go-to-market, everyone knows that. It will bring you a lot of money. So it's like you increase money for people. That's awesome. But how do I know that you're the right person that will make me increase more money? And you know that what? comes I down usually to do. one thing. Yeah, go. <laughs> What's the one thing? No, the, I'm the, excited now. The one thing is trust. Like mm -hmm. if you really trust someone, then, you know, like uh, you're going to go with them. And for me, trust is built through like three different. I have like actually like a triangle of trust that I call. And the triangle of trust is composed by three elements. And if like any triangle, if any like uh, elements is missing, it will come crumble. So the first element is basically like the emotional connection. So whenever uh, that's like the foundation. If you don't like someone, you're never going to work with them. Uh, or you're not going to enjoy, like you're not going to enjoy like giving them money, etc. It's simple. Like some, sometimes, you know, like, and, and, it, and it might come from anywhere. It's a bit of luck. It's a bit of everything. So right now people are listening to our podcast. They might think, oh yeah, like G and Maja, they look like awesome. They're like super kind and friendly. Or they might think, who the fuck are these guys? <laughs> you know, like uh, it's, they, they're not nice. I don't like it. <laughs> I quit. No, even But dogs do it. You know, it, I call it. I call it a sniff test. Like if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. We cannot beat nature here. <laughs> I like that. I like this idea of sniff test. Exactly. That's exactly a sniff test. And then the two other parts are credibility and reliability. Credibility is when I go online and I look at your profile, do I see credibility? Have you worked with previous customers? Have you worked with companies that I know? Have you got success stories? Have you got like things that shows that you are the person that is successful and that will drive me success too? And the other part is reliability. And reliability is extremely important is when you make a promise, do you actually deliver on it? For me, it was insane to discover how many people tell you that they are going to do something and in the end that they never do it. When I say like, I'm going to give you X, Y, Z by Friday, on Thursday, we'll have something. Like I always, you know, like uh, try to over deliver, but most people are actually like not that way. So reliability is extremely important. And when you build in public, when you share your ups and downs, when you share your learnings, when you talk about the problem that you are passionate about and that you want to solve, you start building that trust. Because you give to people a glimpse into your brain to how you think, who you are, how you talk. And the more you do it, and the more you do it consistently, the better you will get at it. That's the first one. And the better entrepreneur or marketer or go-to-market strategist you will become. Because the reality is like a lot of people believe that they master topics, that they are experts in some fields. But if you ask them to write concisely and explain what they know to a larger audience or in writing, most of them are going to struggle because there is a huge difference between having the right ideas and believing that everything is clear in your mind and presenting it or expressing it in a clear and articulate manner. And for me, if you have to have a picture in mind, reading, learning is only dots in your brain and writing is actually connecting the dots to create like a, an awesome drawing, an awesome painting, 
creating art essentially. So you got to do both to really become great at it. And on top of it, for me, building in public was also a great way to be accountable to a larger audience. I hold myself to a really like a high expectation and being and building in public is all about, okay, here's what I do. Here's where I want to go. And I want to show you like step-by-step step how I'm getting there. So every mistake I do, I will share it. And when I share a mistake, to be honest, it doesn't feel good because when you write about the mistakes you've done, the first thing you think about is how stupid I am. You know, like it's, uh, it's, it's not nice, but just that feeling. First, it's helpful for others. Second, you connect a lot better with your audience because you also show that you make mistakes, you fail, like, uh, and that's part of the journey. And third, I can guarantee that you're not going to do that mistake ever again because writing it is painful enough <laughs> not to do that. <laughs> so true. No, and it's like so bullsy because, you know, everybody likes to say, hey, today I took like a day off and I took my children for a skiing trip. I could do this because I'm an entrepreneur. Here is me drinking punch. Um, but like when it comes to vulnerability and just like being real, I think it's becoming like a superpower in this day and age of bromance on LinkedIn and just like I generated content because people genuinely feel if somebody's being real or not. Maybe just like the last thing to add here is this freaking imposter syndrome. People are not as intelligent as they pretend to be. For example, testing pricing, Vassmersdorf method. So this was like done maybe in six instances when we were doing pricing testing, right? Maybe six companies had good enough samples in order to run a reliable analysis out of this. The majority of us with the other clients, we did a pre-sale. We just did a smash a price point to an offer. We talked to 20 people and we saw what happened. This is how we do like pricing testing. And whenever like you are telling stuff which is real, even though if it is not like really supremely sophisticated, I think that this is like a tremendous trust builder because if another person is going to tell me that MPS is not the ultimate measure of product love and product market fit, um, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And I think like, uh, it's cool to keep it real. Like, cause eventually like you're not fooling anyone or I mean like social media, of course, like, uh, everyone like, uh, eventually is gonna, you know, like want to, to highlight the success that they have and, and it's fine. But if, 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 I mean, I don't know any entrepreneur that didn't go through like a, a lot of shit, like it's, Seasons it's of part shit, of the shit storms. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it's. Yeah. And, and I don't know any like ambitious person that similarly like didn't go through like uh, places of struggle. Like if you, if you're reaching high, if you want to become the best version of yourself, it goes through like so much going out of your comfort zone that it's impossible to avoid like uh, mistakes, issues along the way and sharing it with uh, an audience. Actually, like uh, for me, it's, it's something that you'll never regret because Investing in building an audience, no matter like what's your role at the company, if you're an entrepreneur, product marketer, etc., it's investing in yourself. And you're never going to regret to invest in yourself because the more you learn things, if you want to really like crystallize your knowledge, you have to teach it in some way. And writing 
you can just consider that writing is like a, a public journal, like writing on LinkedIn is a public journal. And whenever people like, like your content or if you have traction or not traction on content, it's also a good test for you to know, okay, like, did I teach it in the right way? Uh, maybe, you know, like if I reread this post, it's not that clear, you know, like you can be like, uh, also very constructive, you know, about everything you write. Sometimes, you know, I write posts, I wrote them in like 10 minutes, uh, and I'm like coming back at it like uh, a week after and I'm like, Hmm, that's, that's shit. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I can rewrite that, you know, like in a, in a much better way. And sometimes I, I spend like, I don't know, like 45 minutes or an hour to write a post and I'm happy about it. And I think it's uh, it's sharp, it gets like a good traction and that's cool. But eventually like you, you just got to do the reps and, uh, and you'll get better and, uh, and better. Gosh, the next book that you will be writing is probably going to be about <laughs> mindset, right? Mindset. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Mindset, mindset is, uh, mindset is, is really important. And actually like, uh, it's funny because I had the, I was chatting with a friend, you know, and, and the question was like, why do all successful entrepreneurs after many, many years all switch to talking about like mindset? <laughs> and eventually, you know, like I, I was like, yeah, it's true because if you look at there, you have like so many fake ass gurus, you know, telling you like, yeah, like if you believe it, it will become true, <laughs> you know, like, and, and you're like, well, money. <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah, exactly. And then you see like all these funny, like memes of people who are in their couch and it's like money, 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 and then nothing, you know, like, so, so I think like if, if I look at, uh, like the, the last, you know, eight years of entrepreneurship failures, etc., I know that of course, actionable content, um, you know, like, uh, giving practical tips, no bullshit is extremely important. It's extremely important because at the right time for the right people, that will be like game changing for them. But I also know that if you want to impact a much larger audience, sometimes only one sentence can make you go five or 10 years ahead of competition just because it unlocked something inside your mind. And for me, like mindset is something that we don't work enough. I think like in the, I would say like Westerner type, Westerner type of mindset, it's very like, uh, yeah, we have like our, our brain and we're not connected at all to our emotion. Like it's very like not connected. And that's why a lot of people, you know, they have like stomach problem or they can't speak or like this type of thing. It's because of like all the stress and the knots that are from our brain between our brain and our gut. But you know, when we say like gut feeling, it's, it's actually like the gut is, uh, has like so many like, uh, neurons in the similar way as the brain. So it's, uh, it's not something that's, uh, totally like, uh, uncorrelated with uh, who we are as human beings and totally like you, you, yeah, yeah, hippie type of shit. It's actually like, even from a scientific point of view, it's something that's actually like extremely, extremely helpful. And for me, everything starts in the mind. I've tried to help people. I've tried to change people, like uh, spending like a huge amount of time giving them the best resources, one-on-one uh, -on -one coaching when it was like really close friends of mine, etc. But if they don't want to change, if they don't have that mindset switch, it will never work out. And it's not a matter of uh, being smart, being intelligent, etc. Like none of that matter. I've met people who are dumb as fuck, 
who are making like shit tons of money and living their best life. It's true. No, but it's true. And when you meet with these people, sometimes you're like, ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, like whatever. <laughs> but but it's true. And, uh, it's and, a curve. And I think it's, it's a bell uh, curve. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> the knife goes. <laughs> oh my God, Guillaume, listen, I was enjoying this conversation so much. Thanks for <laughs> taking us on this amazing journey. Thanks for building in public, for helping like tens and thousands of people. So what's next? Where should we follow you? What are you working on? Get us excited about the future. Yeah, so you can follow like uh, me on LinkedIn. If you have questions, you can message me at guillaume at lempire.com. I reply to like uh, all my emails. Um, and yeah, like for me, it's uh, what's important is to uh, impact as many people's life as possible positively. I'm, uh, I'm building like a, a masterclass actually where I publish each week on YouTube, uh, free content that is extremely actionable with Notion templates, everything that I wish I had essentially when I started. So everything is free. All my content will ever be free. It's not that I'm like a super generous motherfuckers. It's just that uh, sometimes I, uh, from the, the free content, I just uh, talk about like our products. And eventually, like uh, if you have the need to use any of them, you will because I have uh, provided a lot of value or you will not and use our competitor. And it's fine because I would have still helped you out. And, uh, and I'm happy like this. <laughs> Hey, thank you so much for this incredible conversation. Good luck on your voyage. <laughs> Enjoy like, <laughs> South Africa, your winter in South Africa, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> And thanks so much for being an awesome guest on the show. Thank you, Maja. Have a great day. Hey, I very much appreciate that you listened to this episode. If you liked it, definitely let me know on LinkedIn, hit like, subscribes and whatever platforms you are using. But more importantly, if you are hungry for more go-to-market, tangible go-to-market secrets, you are welcome to subscribe to my Substack. I send it out every Thursday. It's for free and usually it consists of three or four different pieces. The first one is always the example. So what was actually going on in the real world. Then we have a couple of like mental models, tools, frameworks, mood boards, mirror boards, whatever, in order to provide you some tangible value. And last but not least, I am so looking forward to hearing from you and just like make sure that we are producing content, which is resonating with you and answering the questions that you have. If you want, definitely connect on LinkedIn. And as I always say, let's go to market.